broadcasting live from Forward Observer Central Command in Austin, Texas. It's the man always out front on the issues. You're listening to Out Front with Mike Shelby. Hello and good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to Out Front. I'm your host, Mike Shelby. This is the show where we talk about intelligence, security, preparedness, how to build a first world zone in a third world country, and how to win at low intensity conflict or at least not lose. Hey, it's good to see all of y'all too. It's been a minute. It's been like a month. I've, I've been out uh, between teaching classes and squeezing some family time in there, a, a family trip. It has been a while. I had a ton of stuff to talk about. So First of all, thanks for uh, bearing with me, and thank you for being here. I, I plan to uh, get this back going again, uh, and and as time allows, also do some podcasts. I tried to record a, a podcast uh, a couple of weeks ago with uh, somebody, but the connection wasn't very good, so we, uh, we're just going to end up rescheduling. With that, I do have some questions. Go ahead and post your questions into the chat, and while we wait for some more questions to line up here let's see yeah so i got back from las vegas on uh tuesday and i I taught a a saturday sunday monday class a tactical intelligence class and then on monday we did intelligence surveillance and and reconnaissance and that's the one day isr class so we did some reconnaissance and surveillance exercises we talked about reconnaissance mission planning and i will tell you i i really like i like visiting Las Vegas. It's a cool town. We are going to be back because I like Las Vegas so much. We're going to be back for another three-day course in December. It's December 3rd and the 4th. You can find out course details at www.grayzoneactivity.com. That is going to be uh, one day of a attack intel slash ISR crash course and then one day of surveillance fundamentals. It's a lot to fit in into two days. It's a lot to fit into three days, but we do it. First day is TAC Intel and ISR, the crash course. The second day is surveillance fundamentals, about half classroom, half field. And then on the third day, we're going to do, again, half classroom, half field, counter surveillance. And uh, there will be some nighttime, optional nighttime exercises as well. So if you want to get in there, you want to learn the fundamentals of surveillance and counter surveillance and mission planning, how to build an area study in support of of these types of uh, intelligence gathering operations, come out and join us. Las Vegas, 3rd and 4th of December. We're going to bring the whole crew out. Sam and Wes will be out, and uh, we, we're going to put on three days of, honestly, in that three days, I would be surprised if this is not one of the best courses you've ever had, and maybe even the best course you've ever had. www.grayzoneactivity.com. All right, there's a couple questions on uh, over on the Patreon. And by the way, uh, if you are on Patreon, feel free to drop me a uh, drop me your questions, and I will get to those first. All right. Uh, so, question number one: How do we know if we are closer to exiting the gray zone? Well, the gray zone is this area between war and peace. We're not at war, but we're certainly not at peace. Uh, that's what domestically, you know, we kind of call that low intensity conflict. 
beneath the threshold of conventional war, but above routine peaceful competition. That's kind of the domestic gray zone. And then geostrategically, we have, you know, also warfare beneath the threshold of conventional war. So we're not talking about tanks and bombers and destroyers shooting at each other. We're talking about, or, you know, shooting at the enemy. Uh, we're not talking about a shooting war. We're talking about uh, covert and clandestine forms of, of warfare, particularly against the United States. We do it, too, to other countries. And uh, it just so happens that a lot of these countries are in a position to um, to do it back to the United States, probably, probably just as good as we give it, and in some cases, probably better. You know, I always go back to that conversation between Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping, and she says, you know, Joe whatever he calls him, he says, you know, democracy is not going to work for the 21st century. Technology is going too fast. Uh, developments, are, there, developments occur so so quickly and they change so quickly that you you don't have time to achieve a consensus in a democracy in order to, to make an act, to, in order to decide an act. And of course, you know, this goes back to the OODA loop. I won't crush that, but just observe, orient, decide, and act. Observe and orient is... Observe is intelligence gathering. Orient is intelligence analysis. By the if if you don't have if the ooh in your OODA is not spinning very quickly, if you don't have lots of sensors out there observing, reporting back information, and if you're not piecing the, together the situation, not just piecing it together in real time, but if you're unable to piece it together in a way that allows you to anticipate future changes then it doesn't matter how well it may not matter how well you decide and act if you're if you're behind the curve then you you're at a strategic disadvantage and my favorite quote of all time comes from uh, GE CEO Jack or former GE CEO Jack Welch and he said if change on the outside is happening faster than change on the inside then the end is in sight and he's talking about corporations you know they have to respond to consumer preferences and they have to be researching the next the refrigerator that you're going to use 15 years from now. They have to be researching now so that they're in 15 years they're, they're going to be able to create and sell it to you. And it's the same thing with with us. It's the same thing in the gray zone. It's the same thing in in preparedness for nation states, for militaries, for intelligence agencies. If if the rate of change on the outside is happening and the rate of change on the inside, then the end is in sight. You're going to lose. And you know that is a key. That's a a key factor in gray zone warfare is a lot of the things you do, you do not want to be noticed. So if you can't even observe your adversary doing these things to you, then uh, you, then you're not going to orient on that. You're not going to be able to decide and act very well. So that is gray zone in a nutshell. The question is how do we know if we're closer to exiting the gray zone? I would say uh, indicators of that would be, decreasing amounts of violence political settlements uh almost always most insurgencies end in political uh political negotiations or political set, uh, settlements and I, you know i'm not saying we're going to get to an armed insurgency but that is a form of low intensity conflict politics starts working or it starts to work better critical critical infrastructure starts to work there are fewer disruptions. I start seeing those things, and you know, I say, well, all right, maybe maybe we're coming out of out of a gray zone. But typically, there are very few. I think maybe there are very few instances of 
conditions rapidly improving versus rapidly deteriorating, right? I mean, it, it probably takes it takes more effort to fix a society than to break a society. And I think that's where we are now. And that's why I really focus on the gray zone so, so frequently. And I mean, I named, named my training company gray zone activity because of, well, we're, we're just going to be in the gray zone for probably for decades, your kids, your grandkids are going to be living in a gray zone. And once we come to that realization, uh, I, a lot of things will probably change once more Americans start to uh, start to accept that. The next question is, are there any examples you've come across where a political martyr uh, imprisoned caused a revo revolution? I mean, I think Gandhi, uh, you know, the Indian independence was won not, not through military means or not through violence, but through uh, maybe from a popular revolution, a political revolution. And I think that's one instance if I really rack my brain, maybe I can come up with some more. Um, Martin Luther King, uh, the letter from the Birmingham jail, you know, that was a political, social, cultural revolution of sorts uh, during the civil rights era. So, you know, that that's probably another example domestically we can look back on. There may have been others. There undoubtedly were others. I, I'm just, none of them immediately come to mind, but those are two very good questions. So uh, thanks for the Patreon support. By the way, you can support the show at patreon.com. I think it's, I don't even remember what, what it is anymore. I think it's patreon.com slash out front. Yep. All right. Let us get, there are some questions here in the YouTube comments. John, our, our favorite neighborhood glowy, wants to know, how does how does the current domestic friction compare with the domestic turmoil of the late 1850s? I know that there were secessionist movements back in the 1850s, but uh, antebellum, like pre-war, is not a, a strong suit. It's not my historical strong suit. Not my wheelhouse. I, I know that there was a lot of there was domestic turmoil back then. I, I'm just not sure how it compares to today. Next question. Thanks for that, by the way. In a large-scale civil unrest scenario, do you see Western states like Idaho, Montana, Utah, and Colorado as generally safer for families than Midwestern states like Missouri, Kansas, Iowa? Well, we're talking about, okay, if you're framing this in large-scale civil unrest, I'm looking at big cities. And there are just, there are some metro areas, you know, Denver, Salt Lake. Uh, I, I wouldn't say Montana has any big cities. Idaho, I mean, there's Boise and Idaho. I, I wouldn't necessarily call it a big city but there are urbanized urbanized parts of of those cities in the in those states typically you're going to be dealing with lower volume of people and probably lower volume of civil unrest number one number two uh, the radical and revolutionary groups are not uh, they're not as large in those states as they are in say st louis missouri uh, or, you know, I mean, Kansas city or, uh, I don't, you know, I don't know about Iowa. I know there's some radical and revolutionary groups out in Iowa, but, uh, not many and you know, compared to Portland, Seattle, New York, LA considerably smaller. So yeah, I do see Western States. Also, I think Western States uh, in general, for most of those areas, 
they have much better favor, uh, much better human terrain. And, you know, I don't know if you'd call it political terrain, but the, I think the politics is better in a lot of those Western states as well, in general, not in every case. Uh, but there, I, there's no way. Um, yeah, I think Western states in general are better than mid, Midwestern states. Uh, just in terms of in terms of being able to, to weather low intensity conflict and civil unrest and, and other things. All right. Next question. Um, Patriot Girl Prepper says, I need a mutual assistance group. I know some people in my area are like minded, but how do you approach them to start that conversation? So many people are gray man, and of course, don't want to give away their positions. Uh, well, fundamentally, I, I think you both want the same thing, right? You want to build your network. You want to add people to your network who can provide some kind of benefit. I don't know. I mean, obviously don't know the specifics of your situation, but you want to be a first round draft pick for that mutual assistance group. So that means improving your skills, improving skills that are in demand. And it doesn't mean you need to have military service or, you know, deployments or anything like that. You know, think about what what the what these mutual assistance groups really need, and then go learn that skill. Go be that person. Go be the person that they really want. And I would be willing to bet money that if the right person comes along, and you share similar vision and you share a similar culture, and you also have the skills that are in high demand, the skills that they want in their group, you're probably not going to have a big problem joining one of those groups or maybe being invited into a mutual assistance group and look, a mutual assistance group, it could be as little as, Hey, we're, we're five families or we're 10 households or whatever. And we, we live in the same neighborhood or the same geographic area. And if there's a tornado or hurricane, an earthquake or whatever, we are going to mutually assist one another because there are strengths in numbers and resources. So that's kind of my uh, one approach is how do, how do you become the first round draft pick? For, for these mags and my guess is they you know maybe they'll start seeking you out you know, the, the other thing is I would ask I would ask questions because you want to make sure that this mutual assistance group or whatever it is a is, is not insane and B are full of good people I think the overwhelming majority most of them are full of great people but um, you know I, I probably wouldn't start asking too many questions obviously uh, but um, you know, the more I, I would just I would get to know more about a mag before I jumped in with with two feet. So you know, you might ask them, "Hey, what are you concerned about? You know, what what do you give me an understanding of, of kind of what scenarios you're preparing for?" And if they you know start talking about some you know unrealistic Mad Max, you know whatever, I mean may, maybe they'll be right. Um, I I would like to see them you know. Uh, I'd like to see them preparing for something a little more, uh, more likely, like a natural disaster. I mean, it depends on where you live. I don't know. There's so many ways we can go with that. But how, you know, how do you approach them? You can just, I mean, introduce yourself. Say, hey, I've I've got these skills. I'm a certified green thumb, whatever. I'm a ham radio operator. I'm an X, Y, or Z. And uh, say, just say, I. 
look, I'm looking for a, a group. I'm concerned about the future. I expect you are as well. And I'm looking for like-minded people that I can band together with and, and help out because I know the government's not coming to save us. Uh, my new detail. Yeah. If you want to send me an email, really the best way is to go through the website because it goes to an inbox that we monitor pretty closely. Uh, you can just go to forwardobserver.com and hit the contact form. And that's probably the best way Or you can respond to one of our emails that we send out through Ford observer. CMAX is all my friends in the individual ready reserve have received calls to muster for inspection. Hmm. It's interesting. I, I probably would not be surprised for like a high need MOSs. The IRR is what you get into when you, when you leave the service, you get into two years of the IRR and you're supposed to, you know, individual ready reserve. You're supposed to maintain some level of readiness because they can call you back. Uh, it's what happened after nine 11, a bunch of people got called back. I haven't heard that. I would not be surprised in for like uh, critical MOSs. What books are you working through? By the way, good to see you as well, Mind Gap. What books? Uh, well, I'm, I tell you, I'm still um, I'm going back through the the note taking phase of Grasshoppers and Elephants. By the way, why? Um, I, I tell you. I'm reading a book right now by Vashlav Smil um, about uh, farming in the 21st century, about global the global food supply. I finished, uh, I had a really long drive, like a 16 hour drive back, you know, one way. And I finished uh, Kissinger on audiobook. And I actually thought it was a very good biography. Uh, I, you know, I, I didn't think much of Kissinger. Um, and obviously I, I really don't think a ton of them now, but, uh, but it was surprising. Uh, what I learned about Kissinger was pretty surprising. I actually think he's a fairly level-headed guy, and uh, it's by by Neil Ferguson. It's very probably one of the best biographies I've I've read. I did not know that uh, that Kissinger was first of all he was drafted into the U.S. Army in World War II and he was sent back to Germany. Of course, he was a native German speaker, and he uh, he was put on a counterintelligence team. And one of the things they did was uh, debrief. Uh, captured uh, Nazi German soldiers and uh, Gestapo. And they try to uh, basically root out the, the Gestapo. And uh, he did a few other things in, in Germany. He's put in an infantry company first. So, uh, I mean, I, I've got some respect. He's a World War II veteran, so I, I absolutely do respect that. There was a few other things I forget. But, hey, while I'm thinking about it, I, I want to come across this. Uh, I want to tell you about this part of chapter nine in Grasshoppers, Grasshoppers and Elephants. It's the uh, the Viet Cong's account of the last 50 di 55 days of the war. Uh, this guy, so Wilfred Burchett, the guy that wrote this book, is he's in a hotel room in, in Hanoi. And here's what he has to say. He said, gathered in my hotel room, uh, whatever hotel, were American author Mary McCarthy, CBS chief foreign correspondents Charles Collingwood, U.S. writer Franz Sherman, and for their second visit, the American journalist Harry Ashmore and William Baggs. We had all been involved. This is a direct quote. Quote, 
We had all been involved in some way and with varied, with varied motives to get the war stopped. And it seemed highly appropriate that we should be in Hanoi together to hear what was about to be the most dramatic statement from any president on the Vietnam war. And so I was reading through that and I said, wow, you just, you have journalists who have an agenda, right? People say, I didn't come up with this, but you know, people say, Oh, journalists are, are biased these days. Well, maybe some have bias. The, the rest have an agenda and it, it's the same thing in the Vietnam war. And I bring that up because last night, my wife and I watched Elvis. Now, I'm a pretty big Elvis fan. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm like a massive Elvis fan, but if if Elvis is on the radio, I'm not going to turn it off. All right, you know his. And actually, I used to have this eight track player, believe it or not, when I was a kid. My great grandmother's or great grandparents eight track player, and I had a bunch of Elvis eight tracks. And like even when I was in middle school, I just popped those eight tracks in when I got home from school and just you know listen to the you know the old kind of 50s and 60s Elvis. So at any rate, um, I like Elvis quite a bit. And I was really looking forward to watching this movie. And I thought it was awful. They can't just make a movie about Elvis. It's got to have all these social justice messages. And, you know, it's kind of the backdrop of the civil rights. And, you know, like, oh, Elvis got all his music from black people in the Mississippi and, you know, Tupelo. And then he moved to Memphis. And he was hanging out with B.B. King and Little Richard. And he basically stole all the black people's music and then started singing himself. And I know people say that. But there, there are plenty of Elvis songs that are not rhythm and blues. Uh, especially from the 50s and 60s. By the way, Elvis never even wrote a single song uh, that he sang. So uh, anyway, I was looking into it, and uh, the, the takeaway is that we're just surrounded by propaganda. Just um, there, and, and it was not just it was not just in the backdrop of the civil rights era. I I don't understand why that has to be injected into a movie about Elvis. However, you know, there it seemed like there was a critique of modern politics. You know, there these people were uh, Bobby Kennedy or whatever had been shot and uh, on the, in the movie, you know, on TV, and Elvis like, "Oh, Mama, Bobby Kennedy just been killed," and the the message is, "Oh, this is a very very politically unstable time, and there's there's political violence, and there's shootings, and there's violence, and there's political disagreement." And, you know, it's like uh, one of the guys said, Elvis, you got to you got to be the voice of a generation. You got to bring the people together. You know, of course, Colonel Tom Parker comes in. He's like, no, Elvis doesn't get involved in politics, which he's actually I think it was probably a good move. And uh, I just I, I mean, I really just wonder why all that stuff has to be injected into a movie about Elvis. Just make the freaking movie about Elvis. At any rate, I go back to that passage in the book because tons of propaganda was being injected into the U.S. media over the Vietnam war. And I'm not, I'm not making an argument for or against fighting the Vietnam war. I just want to say it was happening. Then it's happening. Now we have Soviet levels of propaganda in this country right now. And that I do have a big problem with. So anyway, that movie kind of irked me the wrong way. The last half was pretty good. Once they got over the, you know, all the racial elements and stuff, just it's, he's a singer. All right. Just, just write a movie about taking care of business. That's all you got to do. I don't understand why all the social justice stuff has to be just inject, and it's not just injected. It has to be at the forefront of every single every single piece of media we consume. And I don't even watch TV anymore except for very few occasions. But even then, I'm just amazed at how much political messaging is is injected into movies.
and shows and stuff. So at any rate, um, there was one other. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm reading. Well, I'm not reading. I started listening to this. Another audiobook. Let me bring this up. Uh, it is uh, How Civilizations Die. And it is by David P. Goldman. It's been a very good book so far. I've just been listening to and from work. Why Civilizations Die. And, you know, he talks about demographic collapse. And this book came out in 2011. So 10, 11 years before, yeah, maybe 10 years before Peter Zian's book about the same topic came out. And he talks about demographic collapse. And I, I thought that's very interesting. And I just saw the other day over at the World Economic Forum, they're talking about China's population could have by the end of the century due to demographic collapse. So I think this is one area where Peter Zeon and some other people are absolutely right. Things are going to change drastically as we go through this global demographic collapse. And, you know, another uh, 20, 40, 60 years into this, I, I think things could get very, very difficult. We are going to be going in reverse, which in some ways will benefit us. And in other ways, it's going to be very difficult for us. Like one of the things that Peter Zeon talks about that, I, you know, I probably agree with this. Capital is going to be a lot more expensive. It's going to be a lot more expensive to, to borrow, to buy things. And uh, of course, you know, we live in a consumer debt driven economy where if people are not spending, if not, people are not borrowing, racking up debt and spending money, our, our economy shrinks. So that's another reason why I think, stagflation, slower economic growth, and higher inflation is, is we are in a new inflationary regime. All this stuff about the Fed's going to get it back down to 2% at the end of next year, whatever. I think it's complete BS. At any rate, uh, those are some books I'm working through. Great question. Thanks for asking. Um, what book are you reading? By the way, maybe I'll just do a sh whole show on books. I have this really bad habit of get just getting on a tear and buying books. Like I'll flip through the bi bibliography of a really good book that I enjoy. And I'll just order like 40 or 50 books. And I probably read about 50, maybe a little over 50 books a year. And the problem is I buy a lot more books than I read every year. And it's a, a big problem. So I wish I had more time to read, but maybe I'll just do a show on maybe like the past 10 books I've read and maybe the next 10 books I'm going to read or so. And uh, especially if you're looking for a good book, I, I will definitely recommend you a good book. Can we get your analysis on the rooftop Koreans incident during the Rodney King riots? You know, I, I don't know a lot about that. I mean, obviously it's rooftop Koreans. It's, it's a meme, but you know, I, I remember seeing the pictures and, you know, I was a, a young fella, a young fella back then. And uh, I don't, I don't know enough about the situation on, uh, on that to give you an analysis. Um, I could look at it, but man, I'll be honest. I, I'm just so busy that I'm sure there, there are tactical breakouts on YouTube. If you just look up, you know, rooftop Korean analysis on YouTube, I'm sure something will pop up. Uh, still waiting on my coffee, coffee mug. Yeah, actually. So here's the problem. Uh, we've talked to some people that s will print and sell those ceramic coffee mugs, but shipping them is a challenge and they've had a bunch break in, uh, like the way they showed us to pack it. So, uh, I know people get coffee mugs through the mail all the time, so we're we're trying to figure that out. But it'll be soon. There have been lots of non-prepping channels going prepper lately. Do you think that's legit, or are they bandwagoning for clicks, likes, and upvotes? Well, on YouTube, it could be that. It could be the latter. I also think of 
larger number of Americans are starting to come around and realizing, hey, the COVID, COVID lockdowns were bad, and now inflation's bad, and food shortages are bad. And if we actually do end up going to war with China, uh, or if China takes Taiwan, uh, that's goodbye to a lot of the semiconductors, and uh, you're going to be hard-pressed to go buy a refrigerator in some cases. So I think people are just more and more waking up. But it's also in vogue. I mean, there's prepping is a whole cottage industry now, and you do have a lot of grifters and a lot of people who, yeah, maybe you know. I, what I really dislike about these, some of the, some of these YouTube channels is like, oh, the world's got to be ending every day because that's it. The, if the world's not ending, they don't get, they don't get viewers on YouTube, and if they don't get viewers on YouTube, they're not making ad money. And I, I do have, I really highly dislike that. All right, let's see here. Looking for another question. We'll do a few more questions. Oh, we know how big Antifa and the like are in areas of Portland, up to Seattle. Do you have any intel on how this white supremacy group, such as Patriot Front, are? Patriot Front is a relatively small group. They do these sticker campaigns, and you know it might be like one or two dudes, maybe a small handful of dudes. They they've been in my area. I got a, a couple of years ago. A police buddy took a picture of a light, like a a light pole with a Patriot front sticker on there and sent it to me. He's like, Hey, you think these guys are active here? And I'm like, I mean, there might be like one or two dudes that surf on Patriot front, some website or discord channel. I, I doubt there's a chapter here. Um, you know, I, I, of course I don't know that for a fact, but, um, but I think, uh, I think Patriot front, they, um, they've had, listen, if you ask, I've asked Patriot front people, and I've said, I've told them, these guys straight up, like, I'm surprised anybody joins your group anymore because you just have terrible offset. Like, people get into your Discord chats all the time. I mean, in probably five or ten minutes, uh, what it used to be. And then they they implemented some of these new, uh, like, interviews and kind of vetting procedures and stuff. And, and these leftist groups are still getting access to their uh, to communications and stuff. And they're still leaking. Sorry, my, uh, they're still leaking these uh, Patriot front chats or they have leaked it in the, in the recent past. And then you have this thing in DC um, and, or I'm sorry, not, yeah, it was DC and where else were they like New York or I don't know, somewhere uh, Patriot front just kind of gets a black eye. Cause all those dudes get doxxed and I'm sure some of them don't care about being doxxed. Um, others, um, others, I'm sure they've lost their jobs, but um, so my point is, you know, to answer the question, I think Patriot Front is a relatively small group. And um, if they were not a small group, they wouldn't. Um, it's very difficult to be a very large group and also be very secretive about who you are and what you do. If they had any momentum whatsoever, uh, you know, maybe they would still hide their faces. But that just, to me, does not say that they're coming from a position of strength. I'm, I'm in some areas, like you know, maybe around Denton, Texas. I think that's where the founder lives over over near Dallas. You know, they they might have, uh, and the Houston. There was this one group called the Houston Goilers too. Like I, maybe a dozen dudes or something like that, if I remember correctly. And you know. That's that's about it. But 
what are these guys doing? They're doing banner drops and leaflets and sticker campaigns. And uh, with the exception of maybe a couple of those dudes that have gotten arrested for shooting people. Uh, I, I mean, what are they doing? So it's also kind of difficult to say how large this group is if, if they're not doing a lot of, if they're not very active, but I don't, they're, they're not a large, large group. Uh, they're not as big as say, you know, Antifa and, and, and so-called anti-fascist related uh, groups. Hang on, give me two seconds here. Hey, sorry about that. I heard my dog chewing on something behind me and I've got these Confederate rifles behind me and yep, sure enough, he was, he was trying to get a hold of them. All right. Uh, let's see here. Next question. Is the daily essay going to be back up on YouTube? Yes. Starting on Monday morning at 9 a.m. We're going to do, uh, we're going to do kind of a global Intel brief daily essay stuff on Monday. And then we are going to jump over to the high side for the rest of the early warning brief. So yes, we will be back. Excuse me. We will be back up on YouTube Monday morning at nine. Why is FO not you not in YouTube posting videos? Uh, well, mainly because uh, I don't have time to, to create new videos. However, we will be live streaming back next week. And we, I do a live stream every day, you know, 20, 15, 20, 30, 45 minutes every day, Monday through Friday over um, on Ford Observer. So if you are a Ford Observer subscriber, or if you'd like to be, you can go to FordObserver.com slash subscribe and watch our daily Intel briefing over there. All right. Um, yeah, Max, Max is doing well. I talked to Max uh, today. He's still around. He, like me, so I, we moved out into the country and uh, we've been, I've been trying to get our, the, internet situation squared away. And uh, now we're, we have enough bandwidth to start doing videos, which is why I'm going to be back doing videos on Monday. Max is in the same boat. He's, he had this, some hotspot thing and it was working and then it stopped working. And so now he's uh, in the process of improving his internet speed so he can join the stream every day because it's very difficult to get on a, on a stream and the audio cuts out and the video cuts out and it's super choppy or you, you know, you lose, uh, you lose connection and it's just, Let's just avoid all that. We'll take a break and be back. And uh, now we'll be back. Yeah, what's up, cultural husbandry? Yeah, active numbers on Telegram. He's talking about Patriot Front. Active numbers on Telegram, Discord combined are about one-tenth the size of Antifa. And we documented no more than 2,200 active Antifa members across 130 private chat groups. Uh, yeah, so I, I think that's probably about right. Uh I think you have to divide active from active supporters from passive supporters, but active supporters. Yeah. I mean, maybe a couple hundred, maybe a few hundred active max. And then the people who support them online or whatever, you know, probably, probably larger than that. All right. Let's see. What time is the daily brief on FO? So starting on Monday, uh, We'll go live with Daily SA at 09, and then immediately after that, 9.15, maybe 9.30 at the very latest, we'll, we'll be doing early warning uh, for subscribers at FordObserver.com. 
All right, Michael says, you all have definitely been missed. I haven't been able to see any of the Ford Observer content. Hmm. Well, I mean, we're live streaming. We have people on the sh- on the show, on the high side show every day. Uh, so sorry about, uh, I don't know why you haven't been able to, to see it, but we also record the videos and you can go back and watch them later. All right. All public groups are infiltrated or completely run by the intelligence community. I don't even know why I put that comment on there. Some are. I, I would I would say I, I highly doubt that all are. James Revenge, why are they not on a terror list? They have been burning down at clinics. That's a good question. I don't know. There, uh, there have been 15, 20, maybe more congressional hearings on white supremacy, divest. Uh, domestic violent extremism, which really they just use as a euphemism for for right wing terrorism or white supremacy or you know whatever. And in those, there might be a handful of Republicans who bring up, hey, what about the uh, what about the lefties that are burning down Starbucks and uh, and you know firebombing abortion cl- or uh, firebombing uh, uh, anti-abortion facilities and you know uh, pro-life charities and, and other things and. FBI Director Christopher Ray is like, well, yeah, we're tracking them, and uh, he he used some strange euphemism. Oh, he said like, oh, anti anti radical anti government groups. It's like he couldn't even couldn't even bring himself to say Antifa or uh, you know con, you know anti capitalist revolutionary groups that exist. Uh, who, uh, yeah. So at any rate, I. I mean, I'll let you take a swing at why that is, but I think we all know why that is. Uh, do you think Russia is winning the strategic war? Hmm. Yes. Yeah, I do. I think the Ukrainian, the war in Ukraine is not actually about, about Ukraine. I've said this several times. I think Ukraine is just a one, one step of a, a broader war against the United States and the, in the West. And you look at, you look at BRICS and what China and Russia are doing with the, with the BRICS, this economic alliance, trying to challenge the United States and the, the rules-based international order. And I think that's part of a strategic objective of of Russia's. And I think BRICS actually. I just put in a report today. BRICS is going to hold, or uh, Russia is going to hold the eighth annual BRICS parliamentary parliamentary forum this year. And there, my guess is that in the next six to twelve months, maybe sooner, maybe as soon as September. BRICS is, or I'm sure they have been working on this. Turkey, I think it was Turkey applied to BRICS back in 2017, and the Chinese said, no, you can't join. But the reason is because we don't have any, we don't have mechanisms for people to join. Like we don't have uh, kind of prerequisites. We don't, we haven't identified the conditions that countries need to meet before they can join BRICS. And now there are, I haven't confirmed this, but there are rumors of Saudi Arabia, uh, I think Iran, 
I think Iran's a sure a sure thing. They have applied. Argentina has applied. Argentine officials were talking about their application to join BRICS. Saudi Arabia, Turkey, Egypt, uh, no, a number of other countries. It's in this morning's Ford Observer report. By the way, if my team and I, we produce a, a daily intelligence report, and I think it's pretty darn good. If you uh, if you want to stay ahead of the curve and understand what's going on, what Fox News and CNN and MSNBC are not talking about, but things that will affect your life, you can do that at forwardobserver.com slash subscribe. So, yeah, I think Russia's winning the strategic war. Let's see. Are you concerned about fighting around nuclear power plants? Yeah, 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 I am. Uh, there was some some kind of, there's, I don't know, you call it scuttlebutt or roommate, you know, about Russia maybe trying to cause some kind of uh, nuclear accident. And again, this is just whatever, it's scuttlebutt. Uh, but, you know, Russia telling people, oh, don't go to work today if you live in this area. Uh, allegedly, that's what they said. And uh, the Ukrainians are, are uh, I can see this. I, I can't say for sure. But no, to answer your question briefly, yes, I, I'm concerned uh, somewhat. Uh, in terms of how this conflict is going to escalate in Ukraine and maybe around Ukraine. But, you know, the Russians say, well, the Ukrainians are shelling this nuclear power plant or in the area because they want a multinational force to come in and demilitarize the areas around these power plants. And this power plant currently is held by Russian forces. I think that's plausible. And I think that's probably right up Zelensky's alley. He wants to get foreign boots on ground officially so that if any of them get killed, they have maybe an impetus to join in the war against Russia. So, you know, it, it's hard to say, you know, again, I'm, I don't sit at the Russian desk and I don't track the Ukraine stuff every day, but you know, my understanding is that, yeah, it's uh, problematic. What's going on around these nuclear power plants. And I think Zaporozhye and maybe some other places are problematic. All right. Cultural husbandry says best Intel report available. I appreciate it. I, I appreciate that. All right. Any, uh, maybe I'll do one other question and then, uh, then I got to bounce. I got to go. Actually, I got to go start setting up the, uh, the new home office so I can start, uh, start live streaming again with video. All right, I'll do one more question. Whichever question jumps in to the chat the first, I'll get to it. And if there are no other questions, I'll just ask myself a question. We can bounce. Not everybody all at once. All right, three, two, just go ahead and enter if there are no other questions. All right. Well, hey, everyone, thanks so much. I'm going to get started back with these Friday live streams and uh, try to do a few more uh, podcast, get those recorded and out the door as well. I've got Mojave Repeater. I'm going to reach out to um, a couple other guys, and we're going to talk about gray zone stuff. Hey, uh, December 3rd and 4th, we'll be back in Las Vegas. You can get details on that course, on the surveillance course, at www.grayzoneactivity.com. All right, here's the last question. Mike, what do you suggest a trucker do? Oh, that's weird. So I have all these questions 
Oh, there we go. Uh, what do you suggest a trucker do? I mean, I don't know. You like a long haul trucker multiple states away. Here's what I would do if I were in that situation. Uh, I, I, I imagine you're concerned about some uh, like imminent catastrophic thing rather than just like a slow burn. Things are just going to continue to get real bad. And if that were the case, I would be looking at uh, maybe safe house is, is not the correct term. But I would be looking at stopover points, flexing my network of friends and family or, you know, flexing online networks and just say, hey, you know, I drive from Atlanta to St. Louis uh, once a week and or, you know, however long. And um, here's my main route. And do you know anybody who lives in Tennessee or, you know, if you drive through Nashville, do you know anybody who lives in Nashville? If you drive through Memphis. Do you know anybody who lives in Memphis? And just try to make contacts along that route. So if something catastrophic did happen and somehow you got stuck out on the road, it's like, well, we're at 50 miles and I can go link up with this guy. And we've, we've already discussed this. And, you know, I don't know. That's, that's probably the first, first crack I would take. All right, everyone. Uh, I'll be back. By the way, Monday, we'll see you on the, on the, over on the Ford Observer channel on Monday, 9 a.m. Central time. And, uh, until until then, everyone have a great weekend. Be well and stay out front.